Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 51. 51? Who's that? It's Josh. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so, um... Did we do anything for 50? Did we celebrate? Or did you celebrate? Really, it's like, it was like five for me. Yeah, well, five's a, you well, know... Well, that's true. Five's a milestone, too. What's it that? absolutely is. Uh, paper? I don't think so. Quartz? I think it's sapphire. You just made that up. Yeah. All right. Um, so, okay, already this is (laughs) awful. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, and I am sorry that, uh, that it's taken us so long to, uh, put an episode out. Um, I was sick for a while, and actually I'm still getting over it, and I believe you are getting sick, right? Maybe. Okay. All right. Who knows? I I don't know why you say it with such optimism, like, oh, oh, who knows? It's because it's a surprise. (laughs) I always feel optimistic about something when I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's a... It's a surprise. Maybe I get sick. Maybe I don't. I, I kind of hope you do. Because I really, I really want your energy level to just... To go down. Just plummet. Just plummet. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. And you're not an energetic guy, but uh, the way it manifests itself in this, I don't care for. I become... When, I'm, when I become totally sick, I'm like a sloth type person. Like, I can't move around so much. Sloth like in the Goonies? Sure. Okay. No, I get to the point where I, I feel like people tell me things and I just stare at them and I'm I'm trying to process in my head and decide whether it requires a response or not. Like I, I go into to lowest common denominator mm-hmm. mode. You just yeah, you're just uh, running on auxiliary energy and you can't expend any more than you have. Absolutely not. Um so um so I, I'm as I said, I'm still a little sick, so I'm going to probably uh, cough from time to time uh, during this episode. I'll try to do it off mic. Um, so I was trying to think if there were any announcements and there really aren't except, um, you know, it's obvious this goes, this is going up the week of Christmas. Uh, you're going to be going out of town and, uh, I think w- well with the holidays, it'll probably be easily two or three weeks between now and the next episode. Uh, I think the next episode is going to be about, uh, the film, the beaver, I know we try and say what the next one's going to be so people can watch the film and, and get ready Prepare. for it. I'm not 100% if it will be that. I think it will be just because it's really the only one that I've been, uh, only other one I've been thinking about. But um, but yeah, we're going to, in the new year, we're going to try and get back to the once every two weeks schedule. Um, but I do know, but Josh is going to be working on another film, correct? That's correct. In January. January. So we'll see what we can do. Um, and then hopefully in January, February, we're going to have a a couple of, uh, very interesting guests, uh, on the show and that will be, uh, it'll be very exciting. Um, one of them is something of an icon, Josh. Ooh. I can't say who it is. Is it me? 
Uh, yeah, yes. Oh, okay. Man, For I the bet, title. I better get <laughs> on the top Southern of Southern Chicken Fried Films Festival, <laughs> right? People, I hope the people don't remember what that is and are completely confused to what you're talking about. Me as an icon for the title Fried Chicken Something. Yeah, it's piece it together. <laughs> piece that together, podcast it, universe. If you're able to, uh, if you're able to do it, I will. Uh, you know, we'll send you a free copy of For the Title. What is that? You'll have to find out on your own. <laughs> so um, you shouldn't make that promise. Everybody's going to figure it out. I guess. Um, who knows? It could be your first album. That's true. So, uh, all right. So this episode, let's go ahead and get right into it. This episode could not have less to do with Christmas. Um, I'll try to, in a really roundabout way, arrive there at the end. I think I can see something. I think we can. I think we can do it. All right. Because um, it's a Christian show, and as I'm reminded every time I drive by a church and see the marquee, Jesus is the reason, reason for, for the, the season. season. And uh, man. The first guy to realize that those two words rhymed was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Some pastor was like, I am going to make so much money. <laughs> Imagine if that was trademarked. Um, <laughs> but, uh, okay, well, already we're at a side note uh, because uh, I'm always fascinated when I drive by like church marquees because, especially when they decide they want to try and get cute. <laughs> um, and, uh, like, I remember. Back when I lived in uh, Missouri during the st- during the summer, of course, it would be just horrendously hot and humid. And uh, I would be driving by a church, and it said like, "If this is hot, don't you know, don't miss heaven." And it's like, "Oh, I get it, because they're going to go to hell." I don't know if we should be, ma- be making jokes about that. <laughs> so that was one. And then the other thing was uh, the idea of like, if you want to hear if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans and stuff like. And I'm, mm-hmm. part of me is like you're making him sound like a supervillain now <laughs> the god is just and like just really malicious it's like mm, you have a plan do you <laughs> i'm sorry you don't it's going to be hard to make plans with two broken legs so uh, t- i feel like we might have even talked about that phrase before in an earlier episode it's entirely possible about yes. i'm pretty sure we did talk about god as a as an overbearing supervillain type yeah it is uh that image is brought up uh more often than I am comfortable with, whether it be on this show or in general. Just in life. It is, uh, it's frustrating how often that is brought up. Um, oh, okay. Uh, I'm not really sure why I wanted to, why I'm bringing this up, but... Uh, you got me on the edge of my seat. I don't know what you're going to say. So, uh, it is unfortunate about uh, the loss of uh, Christopher Hitchens. Um, no. I know that... Uh, I've been on other shows that are, you know, big fans of, of his, and uh, and I've run across a couple of uh, Christian attitudes, in, most, of course, in on message boards and stuff like that. Always a mistake to go to those. Mm. Um, and uh, the attitude seems to be, as I mentioned uh, a moment ago, people making jokes about hell, and, and so the way they talked about Christopher Hitchens. Um, first off, I would say... You never really know what somebody's dealing with in their in their last moments, mm-hmm. so maybe we shouldn't jump the gun on that. But also, it's it's a sad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, for the sake of argument, let's say that you know he he died as he lived and uh, and rejected God. Uh, that is a that's a bad thing. We shouldn't be happy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and Christopher Hitchens was a very intelligent guy, and he was always willing to he was always always willing to engage in dialogue. Now he was kind of a provocateur, yeah. But um, but like I've I've read articles by people that debated him regularly, um, like Christians, and and he was very very civil to them, and actually was friendly with them. Hmm. And uh, and that's something that I don't think people, if you were to watch the debates, I don't think you would get that. But off stage, he was willing to be a person, and um, and so uh, it is unfortunate that he passed away, and because uh, he was uh, pretty young, and it sounded like a very painful process. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I guess I kind of wanted to bring that up because I don't know. It's there's so many. I won't even just say Christians, but people of, you know, believers of whatever, um, who, uh, almost celebrate his death. I was like, aha, that's right. That's what you get. It's like, yeah, believers die too, you know, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, for for anyone who doesn't know who that is, uh, Christopher Hitchens was a prominent atheist, uh, theorist, maybe he was a writer, uh, was he a journalist as well, I believe? Oh yeah. So, and and there was a lot more. I mean, that was what he was primarily known for. But there yeah. was a lot more to him than that. He yeah, was. Yeah. I mean, he was very much a provocateur, as I said. Uh, he he had some very definite opinions about uh, you know the war on terror, um, and they are not the opinions you would think he would have. Yeah. Um, and then he had some surprising opinions about w- women in comedy. He was of the opinion <laughs> that women were not funny. <laughs> That's strange, but uh, but yeah. He, like, so. he, I think I read too that he hated Osama bin Laden like more than. Am I getting that totally mixed up? Oh no, he he was very very like anti radical uh, Islam and and all that. Like I feel like he wrote celebratory type things when uh, when Osama bin Laden died. That's entirely possible. I wouldn't uh, wouldn't be surprised. But, uh, but yeah, it's... Which, I mean, not that we were all mourning, you know. Right. Not that we're all composing dirges for the death of right of Osama bin Laden, but... But, uh, and so, uh, I, I also would like to... I've, I've read... I haven't read any of his books, but I've read, like, an article here and there. And I've seen several of uh, the debates that he's had with other people. And uh, I would say, if you're a Christian and... Chances are you are bothered by some attitudes that uh, that atheists will have, and uh, I would say look into Hitchens, and t- I'd say to a lesser extent Dawkins. Uh, Hitchens, I think, was much cleverer and uh, had a he was he was much more of a writer and ha- and could turn a phrase yeah. in a much better way. Um, and so I'd say you know look into what he wrote and you know just kind of learn ab- about him. I think it's I think it's Harder to, to, for lack of a better term, demonize somebody if you actually know them as a person. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't really have anything else to say except that. Um, I don't know. Can you think of anything else? I was, I was going to say I'd be interested to see some of the stuff where he is debating because all that I've read is I've read some of God is Not Great. Mm-hmm. And in that book, I think there are a lot of sequences or... Yeah passages at least where he uh he says things that i can't imagine you would be able to say to a human being in a debate like some of the things are downright inflammatory about uh about religion and so i don't know i'd be interested to see how he approaches those same subjects when he's 
engaging with a real person yeah. instead of just in theory. Because I think with with any ideology, it's very easy to sit in your in your room by yourself and write about how terrible something is or about how wonderful something is without having the same amount of perspective. And that's that's the way I felt a little bit about God is not great. Yeah. Um, and and again, I, I didn't well read the whole the whole book, right. so I can't make a make an accurate full judgment about it. That was just my uh, reaction upon reading what I did. <coughs> and when you know that you're writing for pretty much people that agree with you, I exactly. mean, I think I think that can eliminate some some nuance. But the debates I, I've seen maybe three or four of them, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're always they were always interesting. And like I said, he he didn't often pull punches, but. Uh, the very fact that he was willing to do this mm-hmm. at all. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's I respectable. Think, I think that's respectable. So, all right. Uh, moving on. So, today's episode is about a fascinating film that came out uh, last year called Exit Through the Gift Shop. Oh, boy. It is a documentary, question mark. <laughs> um, ostensibly, it's a documentary. It mm-hmm. was uh, directed by street artist and uh, provocateur in his own right. That's right. Banksy. Banksy. And uh, and it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary. And what did it, it lose to? I forget. You know, I don't I don't remember. It might have been Oh. I think it might have been Inside Job. I think it was. If that was last year, then that I think I think so. It. Right, because the year before that was the Cove. Yes. Okay, you're right. So yes, it, it was then. inside job. That upset me. But, I really um, wanted this one to win. Well, because it's it, it's a very it's a documentary. It is surprisingly straightforward in some ways. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And I will I'll I'll briefly go through the 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 story or the the subject um, in which it's about this uh, street art enthusiast who also just takes video of everything in his life. His name. Let me make sure I've I've got it right. Is uh, Terry uh, Guetta? Guetta? I don't know. I'm not quite sure. He's French, and te- and so Terry. That's how people pronounce it. But it's T H I E R R Y. It looks like theory. Ooh. Mm. But and so, um, well, I've got some theories about this documentary. <laughs> Do tell. So, uh, but uh, and so he he just starts videotaping everything and it's for no particular reason and then he stumbles on the world of of street art and starts videotaping that and that sort of shapes the direction of his whole life because he ostensibly starts making a documentary about that and then he starts making art on his own and then he Mm -hmm. takes the art world by storm and as an artist he's kind of mediocre and so the film winds up being about any number of things but it's about art in general, and the person and the attitudes about art. Both the people that the people that make it, the people that critique it, the people mm-hmm. that uh, you know, the the audience for it. Yeah, the commercial side <clears throat> of it. Very much, yes, very much so that as well. Um, and so that's that's the basic story. There's there's it's a bit more complicated than that, but it's there's a, def, a definite through line, um, and for a film that is made by somebody who goes by the name of Banksy and is pretty much nobody knows who he is. Yeah. It is a surprisingly straightforward film. Yeah. Complete with uh, narration by uh, Reese Ifans. Um, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. 
And so, uh, so yeah, it's and and I remember everyone was talking about this movie. I, I was kind of late to the game. In yeah, I saw it, it mo- after most of my friends had seen it. I saw it late last year. I think. I remember I was up late as I tend to be, and uh, and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna watch maybe the first twenty minutes of this movie, and then I'm gonna go to bed. And I watched all of it um, because it's it is a very it's invigorating because you have no idea what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you certainly, well, I, I, I did say that it's pretty in in many ways conventional, and there's a very definite, you know, uh, beginning, middle, and end. And but it is still surprisingly unpredictable because you really don't know what drives this guy Terry, and you don't know what he's going to do next. Um, yeah. And if you have an interest in art, I think it's really mm-hmm. that that's what drew me in because. Um, it introduces this whole new genre, really, of art, which a lot of us don't know that much about. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole street art idea, and you get to see a lot of the uh, icons, I guess you could say, of mm-hmm. street art in action. And it seems it seems kind of odd that Terry happens to be around all these people when things are happening, and that it could be the uh, the reason that. He becomes a subject of the documentary. I think the documentary suggests that uh, the reason that Banksy eventually used him as the uh, uh, as the central character of the documentary is because of the exposure he had had to all these other quote unquote famous street artists. Right. Um, but there are those who uh, who are of the opinion that a lot of the film is uh, made up and that that's why it seems that he is able to be around all these people. Right. Yeah, and I guess that's that's what we'll we'll jump into and that is what is that's the most fascinating thing. Uh I will repeat once again just how how complete of a story it is. Hmm. It's so complete that I myself have suspicions about it. It's almost too perfect. Hmm. Like just the fact that this guy gets involved and becomes an artist himself but is a mediocre artist, but still is incredibly popular and makes a great deal of money. Like, yeah, don't get me wrong. Strange things happen in life, but that works. And the fact that all of this happens under the watchful eye of a camera Mm -hmm. and uh, something of a trickster artist himself, which is Banksy, it it all just works out a little too perfectly. Um, The question then becomes, and and who knows, maybe it's, maybe it's a hundred percent real. Um, and I think I think uh, people have different theories about uh, different Terry's, if you will. Exactly um, about uh, about how made up it is, mm-hmm. because one could say uh, some people think that uh, uh, Terry, who later becomes an artist under the name Mister Brainwash, um, that his whole career and and really even the art that he makes that Banksy did all of that art himself and tried to do and basically made art that was less than what he can do because he wants to make a point about the art world in general and that Terry is just kind of a willing participant in this thing mm-hmm. so like that's one theory that it's just the whole thing is pretty much made up from whole cloth whereas I'm of the opinion that there's just some things that are just, uh, for lack of a better term, orchestrated. Just almost like certain things are set into motion and then they are allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything just kind of 
Banksy sort of winds it up and lets it go, and it goes in an, in sort of a logical progression. Yeah, that's that's kind of the opinion that I have about it. I I I think that I mean, if you know anything about Banksy, and I think the film even shows us that he he's kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's he's trickster was a good word that you used, and he he seems to to try and go against the grain. Uh, at every at every possible turn, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's it's clear in some of the stuff that he's doing that he's making statements about art and about what we consider art. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I think by the by the sheer nature of sh- of street art, it's a it's a form of art that really has no uh, financial right. <laughs> gain to to. Uh, uh, Nothing, nothing to be gained financially, mm-hmm. and so it, a lot of the people in that movie are, are, are in that movement are militantly against commercialism in art, right. um, and so for like to see Terry become this huge commercial success, doing kind of what the other uh, street artists are doing, mm-hmm. is sort of the point of the movie. And I, I think, like you said, I think. My theory, anyway, my Terry, mm-hmm. is that uh, Banksy found this guy because he was connected with all these other street artists, which yeah. uh, the film suggests that he got connected with these people because he was, I think, related to one of them, one of the he's, other ones. He's right? the he's cousin, cousin of a guy whose name, I, I believe, is uh, Space, Space Invader. Invader. Yeah, that was the one. Um, so I think that this guy had all this footage, mm-hmm. and he clearly was an enthusiast, and... I think Banksy sort of used him as an art project. Right. And got him to create this studio where they could essentially, it shows them mass producing these. Uh, Absolutely. That's, these works of art, which is kind of fascinating. And then start this huge, you know, at the end, Terry, as Mr. Brainwash, starts this huge uh, art show that everybody's talking about. And you see, it happens here in L.A., and you can see, like, I recognize all the spots where it is and everything. Oh, yeah. I, I, I remember driving around Los Angeles at the time and seeing these little pieces of art all over the place, and I didn't really know what they were for. I saw a thing that yeah. said, Life is Beautiful. I saw Art Show 2008. Yeah. I saw the thing of Obama, Hillary, and McCain all dolled up. Yeah, I remember that um, In Hollywood. Like, I remember seeing all of those, mm-hmm. and uh, and I had no idea what it was for. Yeah. And he makes, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, yeah. uh, in that one show. And But I think the movie can tell, and I... Th- I think the savvy viewer can tell as well that the art is kind of mediocre. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a pastiche of other things that, that we've seen throughout the movie. And we know because of that, that Terry has seen throughout his life. Yeah. And it's kind of, it it smacks of somebody who has seen a lot of art forms and just kind of like put ideas together and was like, then now this is my art. Yeah, it's it's a very it's very interesting, especially when you see because what happens is is <laughs> so Terry from from here on in I'm going to just approach this as as if it's true. Okay, I have my theory that something again it works out so perfectly. There's such a thematically satisfying payoff. Uh, that this guy is by far more successful uh, than anybody else we've seen and a worse 
artist um that i that i feel like something is going on there but i'm going to from from now on i'm going to uh talk about as if it's true so uh so terry uh is kind of commanded by banksy like i think it's time for you to make your documentary so he makes a documentary with all his footage and it's just this horrendous weird 90 minute just insanity they show clips from it in in the documentary and it starts up and you think to yourself, is this for real? Is this really what he did? Because the yeah. whole time you're seeing all of his footage, and you're expecting like, oh, he's planning this big opus. Yeah. And then when he cuts it together, it's as if a child had access to editing equipment. And, and there seems to be, it's like way too short clips for anything to be coherent. There's no, like it doesn't go together. It's as if all these clips have just been smashed together in very small segments. There is okay. There is a certain lyricism to what he has done. By the way, I, I do think that it's it's there. There is an artistry to it. Um, I am somewhat familiar, though not necessarily a big fan of Stan Brackage, and some of it had a feeling, had that feeling to me, um, in that it's just he's. He certainly is not make his film is certainly not a documentary about street art. <laughs> no, that, um, it is an experimental film, uh, and even the film thing is uh, questionable. It's it's just an experiment. So, um, so Banksy says like, oh, um, okay. So, based on this a story that Banksy himself tells, he says, well, what I it's like I thought the movie was terrible. So what I said is. I would I would take the footage and start making the movie myself and I would and I just went ahead and said, "Hey Terry, why don't you go go back to Los Angeles and start making art yourself?" And so Terry does and he he just like starts doing this stuff that's it's derivative, but he still is passionate about it. I don't think there's anything cynical about his attitude towards no. art. He's just not that good of an artist. Mm-hmm. Um but what's more is at the time, like street artists um, start have started to gain some some acclaim, and and they put on large art shows in galleries and that sort of thing. Actually, shortly after I saw the movie, there was a there was a, a, a gallery showing at the, uh, the Museum of Contemporary Art mm. in L.A. That was all all street art stuff. It was really interesting because oh. I had seen seen the documentary recently, and then I got to see the the the. the the exhibition was a lot about sort of the history of street art and where it started and how it grew and all that stuff. So that, that was really interesting. It is. That's the other thing about, about the film, just to, I'll get back to the point in a moment is that you really do see a lot of street art and it does seem like such a fascinating thing. Yeah. Um, and at its core, I mean, these people can be arrested. I mean, it's, uh, in, in London where Banksy is, is, uh, you know, based, uh, plenty of uh, government officials have spoken out and said like this is not art it is vandalism like they just in spite of the fact that he has gained a lot of not merely notoriety but he has become famous yeah and respected yeah and there's been a film made by him about him and about street art in general and it has become a respected thing but people in the government still say this is not art it is vandalism yeah. and your tax tax dollars go to you know repairing this yeah and so um so that is uh so it it does have that side to it as well i mean you see you get a glimpse of a whole world and a whole community that that you wouldn't that i certainly didn't know anything about i knew it existed but that's about as far as it went um but uh but yeah so 
so there's all these art shows and Terry he's not an artist for very long before he decides I got to do one of these art shows and so he rents out a studio uh, a, a big studio uh, and as you say he he puts a lot of people on his payroll like a lot of artists and he basically has the idea and then they make it happen mm-hmm. and uh, and then he brings in people to design the space for him and he hypes it up like mad that seems to be what he puts most of his time into yeah um and so that's where some of the cynicism comes in that that maybe he's much more interested in becoming as <clears throat> Not necessarily as famous, but as respected as Banksy or Shepard Fairey, who's another mm-hmm. artist that is uh, that is uh, seen in the film. Um, and so, even in the last moments, like like the few hours before the doors open and and hundreds and thousands of people come flooding in, uh, you know, he's doing interviews. He's he's doing everything except organizing the art, <laughs> um, which one could say is the really the only thing he should be focused on right now. Um, but the, the, the opening is a huge success and he became, and is still a very, you know, Mr. Brainwash is a popular artist. That's the amazing thing is that he's famous now. Yeah. I was in a, I was in a studio actually the last, uh, or one of the recent movies I was working in, uh, we were shooting in a, some sound stages and up in the offices of the stages, there was a Mr. Brainwash up on the wall and I was like, oh, that's. How much did you pay for that? <laughs> I know. I, I kind of wanted to ask the guy that. And then at the same time, I, d- I don't know what to think about that. Because I'm like, I th- I know that this is not really good art, mm-hmm. but it's it's famous. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like at this point, and that, that's the, that's, that's something that is very interesting is that, I mean, as art, you can't really justify it being worth as much as it is, but as a piece of a very specific kind of pop culture, mm-hmm. it's worth a lot. I mean, there is a movie made about this Mr. Brainwash guy and all of his pieces of art, and I have one. Mm-hmm. Look, isn't it kind of bad? Yeah. But it's... There it is. <laughs> you you heard about this Mr. Brainwash guy and how generally mediocre he is. There you go. I paid a lot of money for that. And so, um, so yeah, it's... Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to think if I should get to the uh, get to the theme first, but um, but I do want to talk about this other thing because I've talked about a few documentaries on the show, and the very first documentary that I talked about was Religious. Uh, I don't think I've talked about any Michael Moore on the show, um, but there has been. Uh, I mean, this is this is an age old. Uh, discussion going back to you know Nanook of the North. Um, what is the responsibility of a documentary to be honest, mm-hmm. and what does honesty even mean? Because I, I, I do believe there is an objective truth. Don't get me wrong, but people have different interpretations of that. So this person's interpretation of the truth might be very different than mine. So do I say they're not being honest? Yeah, and the mere fact that just because there's because by virtue of it being a film, there is a camera crew. There's yeah, there's editing. There's right. There's 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 no way to show it completely uh, pure. Yeah. Because even if 
even if you were to shoot something without any editing, without any, uh, you know, artificial lighting or makeup or any of that stuff, you have a person who's reacting. Yeah. Knowing that they're being filmed. Yeah. I mean, only if you use like security camera footage or just spy cam footage and a pair of glasses. <laughs> really, that's the only, and, and by the and you never cut. That's really <laughs> the only way to make a pure documentary. Uh, by the way, that would be unwatchable. <laughs> I, I believe it is unwatchable. And it's called Andy Warhol's Sleep. Fair enough. I, I, I never saw it. I don't think I've seen any of no Andy one's. Warhol's films and I'm not that inclined to. They're not really for watching so much. Okay. I think even Warhol himself would probably say that because, like, he's not expecting people to sit down and watch, say, an eight-hour-long film of the Empire State Building in one static shot. Like, I've always thought that that was meant to be put on a wall and projected as if a, right. as if it were a painting, which I think is an awesome idea. And if I ever have millions of dollars, that'd be awesome to have in my house. <laughs> oh, yeah, you would you just claim it for yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the uh, So the question that I do want to bring up from an artistic point of view, and then we'll get into some of the, some of the deeper themes in a moment, is, you know, there's a lot of theories about about this film i don't know of really anybody who says it is that it it is 100 percent true mm. i mean it's just or 100 percent false right i mean there's i think i think everybody says that there's some it, it's somewhere in between mm-hmm. um and uh and so i think there's some kind of manipulation going on and the question then is are you as a film fan okay with that and for me, I think yes, but the question for me is, all right, well, I complain about other, you know, other documentaries that manipulate the facts. I mean, Michael Moore does it all the time, mm-hmm. and I complain about that, so why am I okay with this? Um, what, do you, what do you think about this, about that? Well... I feel like it, if we're speaking specifically about, say, a Michael Moore mm-hmm. movie or a lot of movies that deal with political issues, mm-hmm. um, a lot of documentaries, when they're trying to make a point about a social or political issue, they are coming at it from a specific standpoint and from a specific view, and some filmmakers will fudge information or fudge facts or... Uh, shoot and edit something in such a way to make it look as if their social and political idea is unquestionable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas the manipulation that takes place in in Exit Through the Gift Shop I think is motivated artistically instead of Mm -hmm. uh, politically. Yeah. And if there is any motiva- manipulation going on, and whatever manipulation there is going on, um, I think Banksy hopes that the viewer realizes the manipulation mm-hmm. and <clears throat> kind of comes to his side at uh, in questioning how we look at art and how we treat art and how we pay for art. <laughs> And I think I think it also speaks to a. It asks questions, but does not necessarily say, 
by the way, I've got the answers. Exactly, yeah. Whereas a Michael Moore... He, he he can almost just write down for you what he thinks and just hand it to you on a piece of paper. Right. And you get the same effect. Um, like this, I think it, it, it asks core questions and I think in that sense speaks to a core truth. And when you think about it, nobody is really hurt by exit through the gift shop. You could mm-hmm. make the argument that just as far as image that Terry is hurt because I think we come away from the film with kind of a negative view of him. Yeah. Um, but does he know, and would he ever know, and is that part of the point? Right. And if we're t- we are assuming that there's some manipulation, mm-hmm. perhaps he's perfectly willing to, to be manipulated. Yeah. And if that's the case, then the only person that is being hurt, in theory, is the person that said, this is, I'm on board with what you are doing, let's do it. Yeah. Um, whereas you look at some uh, something like a religious, or frankly, if okay, something like Expelled, which is not a good film. Mm. Um, where there's there's just some manipulating of either the facts or just just a completely one sided thing. But the more one sided it is, the more harm is done pretty directly to the side that is not represented. Yeah. Um. And and it tends to demonize that side. You look mm-hmm. at you know religious or um, Fahrenheit nine eleven or, or any of that, um, and you see that uh, that this is very much. I am right. These people are wrong. We should hate them. Yeah. Whereas I think there's not merely a sense of playfulness, but also maybe even a, a certain degree of uh, looking inward in exit through the gift shop. Cause Banksy is himself an artist and an artist that has gained some acclaim mm-hmm. and respectability in an art form that is not known to be respectable. So yeah. I think he's also asking, am I something of a sellout now? Like what, do, how does this apply to me? Yeah. I think he's. I think he's also. I think he's turning the the camera towards himself as well. Mm-hmm. So, and even to his audience, I think, mm-hmm. in a respect, because, well, yeah, that doesn't exactly follow with what I was about to say next. But <laughs> what was that? Well, I was just going to say, I, I mentioned before a little bit how it's almost as if Terry becomes the art project, at least to me. Well, that's actually something he has said. Yeah, he said, "I am, I, I am Banksy's greatest creation." Yeah. The question then becomes, what does he mean? Does he mean I've been created completely, or <laughs> he has inspired me and look at what I've become? Right, right. So, is he? Uh, does he think of himself as the uh, the Plato to uh, <laughs> to Banksy's Socrates? <laughs> oh my! <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is the first podcast where Banksy has been compared to Socrates. But it won't be the last. Not 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 anymore. <laughs> We've broken new ground, and now people are like I don't I can't see him any other way. So um, so yeah, I do. So that that's one of the things that's that's in, in, the film is very inv- it's it's invigorating to me for any number of reasons. Fun, first, it's just a fun movie to watch. It's uh, it's also not too long. That's always good. I, I've come to really appreciate that in that it doesn't overstay its welcome. Uh-huh. Um, and it's and it moves really fast, but you're just so fascinated by everything about it. Not merely the world of street art, Banksy himself, Shepard Fairey, uh, and the other artists. You're fascinated by Terry and what drives him. Um, and it's just and the whole thing is. It's also quite funny. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of humor to it. Um, but it feels like 
uh, kind of an, org- an organic humor. It's it's not like pushing things to make Terry just look silly. Yeah, no. Although, I mean, there is one moment when he has broken his leg and is being pushed in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Maybe he's in... Ch- but that's the thing is, Terry is the type of person that you don't... That might have been his idea. Yeah, it's, no. It's very strange. But, um... So I want to move on to uh, to talking about some of the themes that, that strike me. Uh, I, I watched it uh, last night to sort of uh, refresh my memory, and I, I had some ideas of what I wanted to talk about, uh, and very much so um, <clears throat> now that i watch it again. Um, I've been talking about the things that drive Terry, and... You know, it's not merely, we already talked about, it's not merely that he wants to make great art, but he wants people to know about the art he has made. I mean, he jumps immediately to look at this, I, I got to make a great, uh, this huge, great show mm-hmm. that everybody knows about. I will do interview after interview. I will get the hype machine going because he wants the respectability I think he wants the respectability that Banksy has, and one of the points that the film makes, I think Shepard Ferry makes it, is that he he got that, but like he took like a shortcut to get there because he sort of he kind of built himself on Shepard's reputation and Banksy's reputation, um, mm-hmm. but he he wants to be seen as on as being on the same level as as those guys, and. Uh, and if you actually even go further back, you see that he's just documenting documenting every element of his life. He's just recording everything. Um, even before he falls into the world of street art, he's just he always has a camera in his hand. And at the time, he just owns and operates like a, a vintage uh, clothing store. And he and he videotapes that. He videotapes his wife and kids. Just it's it's a constant thing. And. As I was looking at that, I thought, that's interesting. I wonder why he does that. And the film has some some ideas uh, about uh, the loss of his mother at a very early age and him feeling like he, he missed out on something and, and this idea of, well, I'm not going to miss out on anything ever again. Right. And I think that's, that, that's perfectly valid. But I think it also has something to do, and this, I guess I'm going to act as though I'm a psychologist, even though I'm uh, not. Uh, I think it has something to do with... A, a deep desire for significance. I think, I think he, I think there's, there's a uh, sort of a puppy dog quality to Terry. Yeah. He wants to feel accepted. He wants to feel like he's, like he's part of something mm-hmm. that he's, that he is interesting. He's, he's that surrounded he's by, well, that he's important. He's surrounded by interesting people, people that are, one could say, more important, more interesting, more significant than he is. Mm-hmm. And even when you go back to the the documenting of his life, it's almost like he's trying to imbue his life with significance simply by documenting it. Hmm. I mean, he's he's just... When I say just, I don't mean to, you know, uh, denigrate anybody who's living this life, but he's a married guy with kids, runs a business. And even though the business is like kind of a cool, hip thing, there's nothing that particularly unusual or extraordinary about that. Mm-hmm. And I think he's very aware of it. And so, but by recording everything, it's like he's immediately making his life art and making it more 
vital than he, than it is, or more specifically than he thinks it is. Right. And then as when he runs ac- when he runs across this this amazing community, I think he's just excited to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And there is a a moment when he's he's pretty much documented every street artist except Banksy and Banksy's the one. Yeah. And so he rather obsessively is like I've got to I've got to meet him. I need to do everything I can to be with him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's be and 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 when he finally does meet him he's like whatever you need me to do I'm going to do it. No question. That's I absolutely am going to do it. And it just seems like he's eager to please but he's also eager to be part of something because anything Banksy does is in, is interesting and important, and if I'm part of it, that means I'm interesting and important, just like Banksy. And as the film progresses, I think he becomes—I'm sorry to put it this way—kind of pathetic mm-hmm. in his desperate attempt to to be seen as vital and important and cutting edge and all these things that he claims to be. And, uh, and I don't know, it's, it, it struck a a very deep chord with me because I think that that's something, I I mean, everybody wants, everybody strives for that feeling of significance, but I think when it comes to, uh, artists, I think there's something maybe even deeper and one could say maybe even a bit more pathetic, um, (laughs) because, you know, when you're an artist, it's like, I see it is I'm not merely interesting and significant. I see the world a different way than everybody, mm-hmm. man. I don't know why I went into a hippie voice, but, uh, but it's <laughs> all artists are hippies is what you're saying. Yeah. Except Hemingway. Look how he turned out. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> you go hippie or you go home. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, it's just, I think, I think, uh, there's a, a certain idea of what an artist is that they see, they see through everything and by saying to us, here's how I see the world. They are, they're kind of like the modern day philosopher mm-hmm. and, and it's like, wow, man, this guy, and it, it, and actually they, in, in many ways, I think they have more credibility than someone who would say, hello, I'm a philosopher. And it's like, <laughs> really? Why don't you get away from me? Cause I really don't want to hear what you have to say. But if someone says, I made this, I, I did this painting, I made this film that illustrates my philosophy, mm-hmm. then suddenly it has a, a great deal more credibility and we're much more willing to accept that person. Yeah, because I think a lot of art and some of my favorite art at least is is philosophical at its core, but art is a form of communication at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so it's not merely a philosopher can write down a philosophical idea, but... Uh, that can almost exist in a vacuum, whereas uh, art is made. And you you could you could argue this. You could argue almost anything. When well, any any sense that starts with art is somebody could argue it or argue against awesome. It. Art is awesome. I think all art is terrible and should be terrible in oh. order to uh, to alienate the viewer so that he can he or she can recognize their alienated position in life. I see you've been reading the philosophies of uh, Uwe Boll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh, he's kind of worked out, that guy. Yeah. What a, what a class act. Um, 
That that made me lose my train of thought. I'm I was sorry. saying no, it's okay. I was saying, uh, oh, I, I was saying, art is, <laughs> at least in my opinion, I, I see art as communicative in mm-hmm. nature, and um, so that's why I, I think philosophical ideas. I, I I did you hear the way I said that word? I went philosophical. Well, it's getting a little late, you know. We're both getting a little tired. Just everyone, if you're listening to this now, just stop and listen to it later in the evening. And then we're going to sound like geniuses. Maybe have a couple of drinks. Yeah. (laughs) So you're in the right mindset to hear about philosophy and art. Um, But uh, but yeah, uh, philosophical ideas couched in in a piece of art are, I think, to me, one of the most effective and one of the most fascinating ways of communicating that philosophical idea. That's why I like Bergman so much. <laughs> yeah, and it's and that's and it's so fascinating because I think even if a filmmaker or an artist in general, even if they were to say, "Well, I'm not trying to communicate anything," they still are simply by saying, "Like this is my interpretation of the world." Yeah, and even filmmakers who don't who who are notoriously quiet about the point of their film or why they made it like Kubrick for instance yeah. like he knows that he's communicating something even if he isn't trying to tell us something right like he, he he would openly say I'm not trying to like make a point I'm not trying to tell you something yeah. um, and I'm not going to tell you what this movie means to me right. but that's it's something I respect actually I like when a filmmaker's like I'll leave that up to you yeah yeah and, and just the idea that the 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 images and the ideas and the connection between them means something to the filmmaker and that filmmaker is expressing that thing to an audience, even if they're accepting that the audience may receive an entirely different message. You know, and it might be, and I'm sure there are, there are some people that would look at a certain kind of movie and say like, well, cause you know, Kubrick is a, is just a, he's fascinating visually and just the way he tells his story you 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 just feel like there's something there but there are some films that are just very straightforward character piece but even in how the person writes the character and it's just like the i the way i see it this character would respond to this situation in this way like it's still that actor or writer or director's interpretation of who this would be and how they would respond. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not at all unusual for me to watch a film and say, like, I don't think the character would respond like that. It's like, well, who am I to say? Mm-hmm. I don't think that character would respond that way. But at the same time, maybe this is a film about the contradictory nature of hu- uh, of humanity. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure if people were if if my if my life were a movie, I'm sure there'd be people who would look at me and be like, this guy is inconsistent. He has absolutely no faith in his opinion, but that doesn't stop him from having two podcasts, you know, like stuff like that. This, this doesn't seem realistic at all. No one would pick the pepperonis off of their pizza before they eat it. All right. Look, (laughs) I eat the pepperonis. Okay. That's the weirdest part. Everybody of it. says I pi- I just pick them off, and the the implication no, is that no. I put them off to the side. No, I believe it, but that you still eat them. I mean, it's admirable. No it, part of the pizza is wasted. Well, except the crust. <laughs> That's not true. Actually, it depends on uh, on where it, where it's from. Mm. But um, <coughs> excuse me. Any endorsements? 
Well, my, uh, you know what? Yes. And they're going bankrupt, so they need all the help they can get. Um, my, my favorite uh, pizza place here in Los Angeles and in the general uh, West is uh, Round Table. Mm-hmm. I like Round Table pizza. Like their crust? Yeah, I'll eat their crust. <laughs> is it the same as liking it? I feel yeah. like saying, I'll eat it, isn't really an endorsement. For me, it is. Okay. You know the way I eat stuff? Like, if I That's don't true. like it, I will not eat it. <laughs> so, um, that was a tangent. Uh, so, the... I'm trying to think how I can how I can move on from here. But just... So, I, I feel like Terry just desperately wants... He wants to be viewed a certain way, and I think he just longs to be a certain thing. Yeah. Um, and that will actually move us into the companion film, which is a film I've only seen recently. Mm-hmm. And only in watching this film did I decide we should do this to- the, this episode. Um, because I had been wanting to do Exit Through the Gift Shop for a while, but I couldn't... It's the type of movie It's like, I, I don't know what I can... <laughs> that film with and the more that we talk about uh, exit through the gift shop the more i'm thinking what a fantastic pairing this is actually there's so many really it, interesting connections and it's it's a fascinating film uh, so we're we're talking about uh the companion film is from 1990 it is called close up it is an iranian film correct that's correct and it is r- written yeah it's written and directed by abbas kiristami right Yes. Okay. I apologize, everybody. My pronunciation is going to be poor, um, <laughs> and uh, some might say borderline offensive. <laughs> so I apologize in advance. So um, I will always make a give it the old college try, and I might fail, <laughs> as I so often did in college. So um, that's not true. Just in my math class. So uh, who needs math? So scientists. what was that? I said who needs math, but then I thought scientists mostly, right? Especially rocket scientists. Yeah. You think they can do that all without math, maybe? Like they can art their way to the moon somehow? I think so. I think, you know, I mean, it's all it's all magic anyway. <laughs> so, um, so if you major Smoke in... Smoke and mirrors. It, right. There's no moon. <laughs> and just a big mirror up there. <laughs> That's what I thought. And clouds are smoke. So, um, so I'll let you talk about this, because this is a film mm. that, that you have seen a, a few times. Yeah, I've seen uh, it twice and you, now. I remember when you first saw it, because you saw it for the first time somewhat recently, right? Fairly in the last recently, couple of years. Yeah. I, I, I had heard in, uh, in, in just researching film and, and reading about it, I'd heard a lot of voices saying that uh, Iranian film was, was one of the more interesting artistic movements of the last, like, 10, 15, 20 years, um, which I was interested about because I, I knew nothing about Iranian film and I, I become interested every now and then in like a different country's national cinema like I went through German film for a long time and it was really really fascinating to just see how it progressed over history and the, especially with the effects of the war and everything but um, when I heard that so many respected films were coming out of a out of a country that we expect to think of as uh, completely as controlling enough that mm-hmm. you wouldn't expect artistic expression to uh, to come out of that, which is probably a, an incorrect in, uh, assumption. There's some great film that came out of Soviet Russia mm-hmm. as well. But uh, anyway, so so uh, this filmmaker Abbas Kiarostami is one that uh, that I was pointed to early on, 
and saw a few a few of his movies and I don't know they they struck me in a way that 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 fascinated me because there was something new to them there was something different to them and I think that's one of the things that always excites me the most in films is especially I think this happens to anyone who's seen a lot of films I mean, I'm sure you're the same way you you look for something new like mm-hmm. something that is different or something that shows you something in movies that you haven't really seen or thought about before those are the, some of the the movies that are the most affecting at least for me mm-hmm. and I would guess for a lot of people who are who are uh whether it be yeah i mean something something new especially and when you run across something from a complete you know from a a different a country you've never seen anything before of course and from a culture as as i would say very as clearly defined Mm. as iranian culture because it is not necessarily the the freest culture or society but as as you know you mentioned soviet russia um and and off and you know a lot of uh, Chinese films are this way as well. Like sometimes in a somewhat oppressive society, some of the absolute best art mm-hmm. comes out of there, and you wouldn't expect it. You would expect it to be like just this. It's like well, there's a, the, only what the government allows uh, is what comes out of there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you see something that is just so not necessarily. The differences in your in in what you know filmmaking to be are are exciting, and the similarities because yeah. just you come to learn about that culture, uh, and you're just like, wow, they're so similar yet so different, and that speaks to a larger thing about art, which is I'm it can bring people together, yeah. uh, and it can you can learn about people that you will probably never meet yeah, in your it, life. It's amazing to see what we share as a as a as people mm. with people in the Iranian culture, which yeah. is fascinating. Anyway, that's all kind of a long-winded intro to uh, uh, to this film, which is a quasi-documentary, as is Exit Through the Gift Shop. Um, the The setup is that there was a, a real-life story where um, uh, this, I guess a poor man, I don't think it was a vagrant, but a, a, a poor man posed as a famous Iranian filmmaker whose name is Mohsen Makhmabov and uh, this and he, he didn't pose as the filmmaker in any kind of wide sense he pretended to one family that he happened to meet this woman that he met on a bus he told her that he was this filmmaker mm-hmm. even though he was not she didn't know any better and um, you know struck up a conversation with him he kind of offers to to he he seems to show an interest in her and wants to meet her family uh she brings him to meet her family tells them that he's this filmmaker he says that he's interested in making a film about their family and using uh using their house for part of it um all the while he's he's making all this up he's not he's not this person so this happened in real life and uh so kiristami uh, the director found this man and this family and decided to film uh, the um, reconstructions. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, re. Mm. Uh, 
What are they called? Reenactments. Reenactments. Reenactments is the word. It's like recreation. That's recreation. I guess it's a fun movie. (laughs) The way that I remember what that word is is I I imagined in like really bad TV shows, like about some kind of crime or something. Oh yeah. When it gets to the part where it's all like black and white and the computer, the camera's all shaky. Yeah. And uh, it's like someone with a wig on that looks like the murdered woman. It always says reenactment down the corner. That's how I remembered. But uh, (laughs) anyway, again to get back on topic. Uh, Kiristami finds this man and this family and he does reenactments of the scenes of, of what actually happened with this family but he uses the actual people as uh, as the actors quote unquote and he does film the trial itself yes he, uh, he also he has films, an interview with uh, with the the perpetrator uh, in jail yeah um, and he films the trial and so then, go it, ahead it's kind of a three a threefold thing. One, there's the reenactments of the family and and uh, this man, whose name is we wrote this down, Hossein Sabjan, I think. Yeah. Uh, um, but he he speaks with him with the family, uh, or sorry sorry he he has reenactments with him and the family. He has interviews where he'll speak to uh, to Sabjan or to the f- to members of the family. Mm-hmm. Or to this part, we're speaking to the judge who was involved, uh, yeah. other kind of peripheral mm-hmm. figures in the story, and then there's so those are talking head interviews, sort of, and then there's the actual trial, mm-hmm. um, which <laughs> I think we were all a little bit baffled by that because that that shows that I, I guess the court system is a little bit different, or or yeah, for for such a again, this goes to you think of a. a Iran is like a this totalitarian like oh my gosh the yeah. government they they keep a really tight lid on things they'll pretty much let in this particular instance the judge essentially lets Kiarostami uh, direct the trial while it's runs, happening yeah he kind of runs the trial like yeah. the judge will ask something that that uh, has to do with the actual case and then Kurosami will just kind of break in and ask him a question about like how he's feeling or what he's thinking or like what yeah. motivated him to do something um, which seems outlandish but at the same time is is invaluable for the film because this this man this uh, imposter waxes eloquent about the reasons that he pretended to be this person mm-hmm. and uh what it meant to him to be thought of as if he were a filmmaker and what it meant to him to be treated by these people as if he were somebody. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're quick to ask questions like, did you, did you want money from them? Did you want, you know, were you planning to steal something from the house? That's what a lot, a lot of the trial uh, right. deals with the family. At least some members of the family suspect that his motives were, were, uh, that part of his motive was being able to, steal from them Um, and he did and it and it kind of muddies the waters a little bit because he like they paid for like cab fare for him from time to time right like they did pay for for little things from here and there but he he makes the case and i i think i agree i i think i believe him that it wasn't about the money it was about them treating him as if he's somebody yeah and that's and that is obviously where uh where it intersects with uh, exit through the gift shop among other things yeah. uh, one is just it's such a it's such a weird it's such a strange film mm-hmm. because i mean think about it these the family was duped by this guy and this guy is you know deeply ashamed after the fact of what he's done but 
I don't know. Maybe Kiarostami is like it just has these wily ways in which he can he can be like, "Hello, Judge. Uh, let me wave my hand here. Okay, you're going to let me pretty much run your courtroom." And then just like, "Hello, uh, people who are involved in this uh, this rather embarrassing or emotionally traumatic incident. Uh, would you like to basically reenact it in front of a camera?" You're playing yourself, so you're either playing yourself, the imposter, or yourself, the person that gets duped by the imposter. Like for he, all the world to see. Yeah, and and I will I will write a script for you based on your life. So you tell me what happened. I'll write the script for you. It's it, there's so much going on. Yeah, and and it's it's man, it's such a strange and it's and it's interestingly constructed as well because the first the first shot or the first scene of the film is not the imposter. It's not the family. It's the reporter who kind of breaks the story, breaks the story along with the, the uh, police officers who are going to arrest the imposter. Yeah. And it's interesting also, which I, I don't know if I'd thought about this before this moment, but the, the reporter himself seems to be very concerned about how this story is going to affect him. Yeah. Like he's more about breaking a big story and getting his big break than uh, than anything else, I think, which is interestingly similar to uh, to the case of the imposter. Well, and I think I think you know wh- what we're talking about is thematically is uh, this idea of of seeking significance either through any number of of ways, and I feel like everybody involved in the story in close up is seeking significance. You have. Uh, Sabjan, who is, uh, of course, pretending to be this filmmaker, and the more he convinces them, the more he can act as though he is important. Because I mean, he's a poor guy who I think is divorced. Yeah. Um, he's a single father as well. I think he right. talks about his uh, child. I think but I'm not sure. Sure. Does he have custody of the child, or is he... I, I feel like he doesn't. I'm not sure though. I don't that totally I do remember. Not remember. But either way, I, I think he 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 feels though he feels that he's not respected by his his son because right. he doesn't have a great deal of money, and I think he just really really doesn't like himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he in this moment can pretend that he is important. Right. The family can pretend that they're important mm-hmm. because this big filmmaker is taking an interest in us. Yeah. This is very exciting. The reporter. Can, he doesn't pretend he's important. He can make himself important by breaking this story. You know, it just everybody, and maybe it maybe it even gets into the judge a little bit. This mm-hmm. idea of like, I'm kind of the star of this. I'm I'm one of the stars of this movie. Like it's just the the film speaks to any number of things, but one of them is just kind of this almost a yearning for for a certain type of significance which is kind of a celebrity mm. um and i in that instance it's like wow that's that's very american um <laughs> but uh but yeah this and so specifically with uh, uh sabjan is that how i'm supposed to pronounce it Th- that's what i would guess okay. i'm actually not they, they don't say his name a lot in the film i don't remember like i remember hearing makhmalbaf over and over again so yeah. i know how to say that name but uh, it's pronounced. It's spelled S A B Z I A N. So uh, I apologize to any anybody who uh, might be offended by my <laughs> maybe mispronunciation of the if name. If there's any like, there's any Persians out there who want to tell us how to pr- pronounce that name correctly, feel free. Yeah, perhaps record yourself. <laughs> and <laughs> That's email the only it to way me. we're gonna know. Um, so. Uh, 
so his his story is is the the primary thing that we're talking about here because it is actually quite heartbreaking i think yeah i, know, I mean I it's, do too. and it's i used the word pathetic earlier in reference to terry mm-hmm. from uh, exit through the gift shop and and i don't i don't mean to say that in a judgmental way but like because i well we'll get into me in a moment but um just this 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 desperate basic need not merely to be loved because of course terry has a wife children friends um you know sabjan has he has a son he has uh, a mother that loves him like you know but it's not merely loved it's a desire to be something mm-hmm. for people to know who you are yeah. and to respect you simply by knowing you yeah um and and that can be like this really it's i don't know there's an appeal there mm-hmm. and um and i'll tell uh this story uh my uh father was somewhat i won't say obsessed but he was very much preoccupied with this idea of doing something that matters and 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 making a difference in this life and and being significant um and he's uh well he he had a rather abusive stepfather who reminded him on a regular basis that he wouldn't amount to anything and uh and so my dad was very preoccupied with that, and I don't. I don't think he necessarily passed that on to my brother and I. But he himself was always very, really wanted that to the point where eventually, when he when he passed away on his headstone, it says uh, it says he he made a difference because that's uh, I believe that he did. But I think if we were to ask him, he probably would say that he would that he didn't because he just worked for companies his whole life. I'm sure he th- wanted something more, um, and so. I get I have some of that myself and I think probably anybody who's interested in art probably does hmm. um, because art does not exist in a vacuum you put it out there you say, you know you mentioned it, it's communicative and it's not merely here's what I think it's also I want to know what you think of what I think mm-hmm. um, and and so I feel like that's what Terry wants. He wants that. He wants that kind of significance. He wants people to look at him and say, man, that's a guy who sees the world, man, in a different way than I do. Mm-hmm. And Sabjan, I think the same way, you know, cause the family is already established as being a fan of this filmmaker. Right. And so and, for and him, as is Sabjan, he's, he's oh, clearly, yeah. uh, he, there's almost a level of idol worship. Yeah. Oh, very much there. so. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I, I feel like, and, and I, I guess I've been talking about my, myself. Um, it's something that I, I often struggle with is this desire to be significant, uh, and so often feeling as though I am not, uh, is that at all something that, uh, that you deal with? If the answer is no, that's fine. I guess you're just perfect. No, I'm pretty much <laughs> fine. You know, I, all, right. I'm, I, all I want is, uh, is to, you know, make people happy really. And, and, uh, and glorify God. That's there it. There you go. You know, glorify God, then make people happy. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Cause it's kind of like the first commandment and then the second's kind of like it. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was, what translation thing. is that? Uh, the second one, it's kind of like it. I don't kinda know. Like it. Um, that was that was sarcasm everyone no i i think that's ever that's something that uh that most artists deal with because uh, 
because in, inherently by by putting your art out there you are putting your ideas and your opinion and yourself on the line and mm-hmm. there, it it goes two ways it's either um people accept your art and by extension your ideas and uh and personality and then by extension you um and they accept you as somebody or they reject it thereby rejecting your personality and ideas and rejecting you mm-hmm. so i think it's it's difficult in that in in uh, in uh, in the arts because if if you it's almost as if you if you don't receive any kind of level of fame then then you could be considered as a complete failure oh yeah um whereas other industries you could be good at your job all your life but never become famous at it in any way yeah and uh and you could be the best one in your field uh you could be the best one to ever do your job and that's and you actually run across that with uh with some artists who say you know i just want to get a reaction out of people even Mm -hmm. if so they might actually play something up even to get a negative reaction because they just want to get some reaction that says like all right i've stimulated somebody in some way they are responding to me yeah um even if it's you know wholly negative it's much like a much like a toddler acting out yeah oh absolutely (laughs) um but uh but yeah, and so, um, and and one thing that's that's interesting. I, I'm, I don't know if, can you say spoilers with close up? Uh, yeah, sort of. Okay, because I think I know what you're going to talk about, which is my favorite part of the movie. Uh, it's yeah, the I I won't say what it is, but at the end, there's you know um, some. I won't I won't say what happens, but the end is a uh, beautiful. Yeah. It's really wonderful, and uh, and there's a lot of there's some there's forgiveness and real, for lack of a better term, redemption yeah. going on, and uh, and it's very exciting. It's very emotional. Yeah, there's a very very honest emotional reaction from uh, Sabjan yeah. at the kind of at the climax of the film, uh, in in response to what happens. We won't say, but. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I I love that part of the movie. It's really wonderful, and it's uh, and and it's and and also you come to realize probably how how everybody involved, including the family that was duped, how they eventually came to be involved in the film itself mm-hmm. and and do the reenactments without feeling like idiots, because eventually this turns into a this rather unusual. Uh, you know, trial into a very human story about relationships and people eventually coming to understand one another, I think. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's, and it's so interesting because Sabjan eventually, he gains a certain degree of significance to other people by being more fully himself instead of mm-hmm. trying to be this other thing. Um, by finally just copping to this is what I want. This is what I wish I had. And I think when I think the family and, and I think the viewer connects with him on that level. And in that moment we see that 
that he so badly wanted to be this filmmaker who has these insights into humanity, but as he describes his own situation, it's like, you're pretty insightful, too. He seems to have a lot of insight into humanity, which is, is surprising when we're met with the topic knowing what it is. We, we think a guy who tricked a family into thinking that he was somebody else, uh, he doesn't seem like... You don't expect him to be insightful. And I think right. when he is, it's kind of surprising. And then we immediately become uh, very uh, emotionally invested in him. At least yeah. I did. And I think I think that's part of the film's intention. It's a really wonderful film. And I, and I do think that it goes well with Exit Through the Gift Shop as far as, you know, the kind of these misfit characters who just who just want this thing very desperately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just as far as the filmmaking style, they're vo- they're both pretty unconventional. Yeah. And I and think that you don't, <laughs> I mean, everything in close up is real at its core. Yeah. But it's not a straight up documentary by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. They both have two levels at which they question what, uh, what, what art is and what an artist is mm-hmm. because, uh, exit through the gift shop in, in its form, questions art and documentary a little bit well art in general just by virtue of being about street art which is is kind of a reactionary movement mm. um but then also being uh uh being you know partially or being being manipulated in some way and then we see a character who we see characters in both films who are at some level an imposter yeah <laughs> and uh it's it's just that they have they have different ends, really. Mm-hmm. No one ever sees Terry as an imposter unless that unless the audience is watching the movie now do, and um, uh, Terry makes lots and lots of money, whereas yeah. Sabjan is found out as an imposter and is brought as low as he possibly can. He's yeah. in jail, um, and but it, it questions. Uh, close-up kind of questions documentary by putting the actual people in the, in the events mm-hmm. and um, but then questions what it means to be an artist and is <laughs> Sabjan was a con artist <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, so there's I don't know in being somebody else is is kind of <laughs> kind of art in a way Mm. Even if unintentional, and so I want to I want to bring this around, uh, of course, to uh, Christianity because this idea of um, you know a deep desire for significance, which I think is something that we all we all want, we all want to be important, um, and you know, with Sabjan and, and Terry, they seem to believe that they will not be important unless they are this thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that for myself, I know I, I look at any number of worldly standards and say like, well, I'm not that. So, uh, screw me, I guess seems to be my general <laughs> attitude. And, um, and I, and I think that that is uh, very much the wrong attitude to have. Um, and it reminds me of something I was, uh, <clears throat> talking with my counselor recently and, uh, I will have to, uh, censor this. Um, I was, uh, it was near the end of the session and I was, uh, feeling, uh, upset and, uh, eventually I, 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 my general attitude was, uh, all this stuff, everything about me and, uh, all this stuff that I put so much effort into, uh, who cares? 
uh, who gi- who gives a crap? I didn't say that. I said worse things. And uh, and I was just and I was very animated and very upset. And uh, my counselor actually said he's like he goes who gives a crap? Um, your wife, your friends, your lord. That's who. That's who gives a crap. And um, and just and and he's very seldom as forceful as that. And he wasn't trying to shut me up or anything, but it's just, you know, something to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that kind of got me thinking, especially there at the end, um, uh, the Your Lord thing. And I feel like it's appropriate because uh, nothing says Christmas like exit through the gift shop. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Christmas is coming up and and it's all about uh, God so loving the world. And that includes you, by the way, Josh and the listener. Oh, more so the listener. Oh, you you got to trim that beard. All right. So, um, <laughs> oh, don't do that. Oh, oh, I don't like that. For acute listeners, that was my beard on the microphone. So, um, but yeah. So, it reminds me of uh, of a Tim Keller sermon that actually is posted on the website. I'll, I'll link to it uh, in the show notes. Uh, in which he talks about Haman, of all people, um, from uh, the story of Esther and how desperately he wanted to be seen as significant, mm-hmm. um, but that he went about it entirely the wrong way because he was going by worldly standards. Um, and that uh, from a Christian standpoint, it's, it's so interesting because we, we, want to, we want to earn significance in God's eyes. We want to earn our love and be like, look how important I am. Look how interesting I am. Now don't you love me? And the idea is like, no, you are significant because you are loved. You're not loved because you're significant. And and it's interesting because I think that idea is actually kind of some could say see it as like, oh my gosh, that's that's awful. I can't do anything to earn God's love. But I think in actuality it can be freeing. That like I can't first off you can't do anything to lose it, but what's more is just like God God does this even though I'm not that interesting or I'm totally, you know, flawed and, and all of that. And, uh, even if you're not Mosin Mokmambov, well, that, that's debatable, but, uh, <laughs> he likes those movies. And he so, does. um, he likes the, <laughs> is it the cyclist? I think is the cyclist. Yes, I think movie. so. Um, there's a, uh, uh, some verses from Luke that I wanted to quote. It's uh, Luke 12 verses six and seven, uh, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies. I don't know what the price structure is. Uh, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Um, and so we are dealing with a God who knows, uh, you know, all the hairs on your head. He takes a great deal of interest in you. You are significant to him. And that should be where we get our significance. You know, mm-hmm. we can, whether, whether it be whatever job you have, it could be, I, you know, I'm not, I won't, I won't be significant until I'm married. Mm-hmm. I won't be significant on, until I have a certain number of friends, you know, whatever it may be, there's always going to be this thing out there that you're striving for. And only when I get that, will I be significant? Will I be, you know, interesting, lovable, important, whatever you want to say. Um, but God doesn't require any of that. And he loves you first. And because you are loved by him, that gives you whatever significance you have. Because, you know, whatever significance I might, I might have to friends, to my wife, to, you know, the world, I could lose it all tomorrow. 
but that doesn't mean I'm insignificant. And that's something that I often have a difficult time accepting, um, <laughs> but I have to repeat to myself. Um, and yeah, both of these films, we see men who are striving to to find their signific- significance in men's eyes, specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, humans' eyes, uh, specifically, instead of through God. Not and that we're expecting either of these people to come around to to Christianity and say, you know what? I don't need to be a famous filmmaker. You never God know, though. Me. Maybe they will. Hey. They could. Stranger things have happened. It's not going to happen in those movies, though, because those movies have already been made. They've already been made. Yeah. So it's too late for that. Can't change the past, can you, Josh? Not yet. Doc Watch Brown's out. working on it. Exactly. I was going to say De- DeLorean. Um, and uh, I do kind of want to... I do want to end on... Um, a series of quotes from C.S. Lewis, of course, why wouldn't I? Um, <laughs> from a, a book called The Great Divorce. I think I've quoted it in the past. Um, and this is from chapter nine, in which uh, the story of the great divorce is uh, people travel from hell to heaven and they meet with, uh, you know, past acquaintances who are in heaven and the acquaintances try to convince them to continue on and be in heaven but that means having to leave a lot of yourself behind and often the people aren't willing to do that and so it goes to the idea that you are in hell voluntarily um so in chapter nine there is a guy who is a famous painter and he and that's that's how he identifies himself and and the angel that is talking to him was a friend of his who was also a famous painter and um and he comes to realize that he's actually no longer famous on earth and it's kind of bothering him and and when he gets to heaven he's excited he he's excited like oh i'm going to be able to paint this and he goes and and his friend says uh yes you will but that's not the important thing he's like what are you talking about that's not the important thing he's like well when you on when you were on earth you had a very specific gift you could see little pieces of heaven on earth and you painted it well, you're in heaven now. You can't say anything that people don't already know. And so basically this guy, what gave him significance on earth has been stripped from him. And he's terrified at that idea. But as they make their way towards heaven, he starts talking about, well, hey, here's, here's an upside. And he says, he's like, there will always be interesting people to meet. And so he, the, he's talking about other painters. And then the, the angel says, everyone, everyone will be interesting. And then later on, uh, uh, so and and the painter's confused, and he's like, but, "Well, what about these people? Are they here?" And and the angel's like, "Maybe they are. I don't know." And he's like, "How how could you not know? That they're incredibly famous." And he says, "Surely, in the case of distinguished people, you'd hear." And then the angel says, "But they aren't distinguished. No more than anyone else. Don't you understand? The glory flows into everyone and back from everyone, like light and mirrors. But the light's the thing." And then the painter says, do you mean there are no famous men? And the angel says, they are all famous. They are all known, remembered, recognized by the only mind that can give a perfect judgment. And so that's, that's what we're talking about is, is in this life, Banksy is more important than Terry. Uh, he's more distinguished. He's more famous. Uh, Makhmobov is more interesting more important than Sabjan. And, you know, George Clooney's more important than me, 
and any number of people are more important than Josh. But <laughs> everyone mentioned. Is oh, more all of the above, and yes, that does include me. Um, and so, and I'm, the, I'm and only the on one criminal. podcast. What was that? I'm only on one podcast, and you're on two. Podcast award nominated, though. That's true. So that puts you above a, f- a few other people. Mm. Um, and that's the thing is, I'm 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 making jokes, but the thing is this: like we are all equally significant, equally important in God's eyes, and. I'm sure some people at the idea of that loss of status are like, what? Are you kidding me? But for the rest of us, I think we can take comfort in that. Now, I very seldom take comfort in that. I feel like I still feel like I want significance in this life, Mm -hmm. but I have to remind myself that it doesn't matter. God is what matters. God is what gives me significance and I can't lose it. You know, I've said before, my whole life is built around movies. What if I get in a car accident and I lose my sight? That is gone. There's no way I can ever get it back. Like, the day of the radio drama is long since gone. I can't go to critiquing those. And so what do I do? Like, I, I'm sure in that moment I'd be like, I have no use in this life. I am of absolutely no significance. But I am still loved by God. And thus I am still significant. And that is that's sorry everybody this is going to be really really uh, cheesy that's what the christmas season is all about i mean that's the present that's the gift mm-hmm. he gives us the gift of his love which is significance we are significant to the one being that can ever actually judge real significance yeah so anyway do you have anything you'd like to to add um i feel like i did want to say something to that but I feel like I'd just be kind of summing up. Okay. I mean, we're unable to, it's hard for us to see here where significance comes from. And obviously we see it in a lot of different places and the world rewards it in a lot of different places through, mm-hmm. through and rewards it with fame or money or what have you. Um, but when we are able to see past that and see, um, what makes people important then it helps us in a lot of ways i mean not only does it help us to to find value in ourselves but it helps us to know that to remember that one person is not more important than another person in the eternal sense mm-hmm. um the president's not important more important than the homeless people out on the street right yeah that's a, that's a great way of looking at it because those are the two absolute opposites and like in this world, people are jumping in front of bullets for one and then, and are completely unaware and generally uncaring of the other. Mm -hmm. And so, but when you think, Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad we brought this up because the idea of people are willingly sacrificing themselves for the president, but Jesus sacrificed himself for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so that should speak to what we're discussing. So that's, uh, hopefully that will, uh, You know, you'll keep that in mind during the Christmas season. That's the reason for the season, Josh. Um, But, uh, all right. Well, I think that's going to be it. Uh, uh, The next episode will be up maybe in two or three weeks. I'm not not really sure. Uh, We will be talking about The Beaver starring Mel Gibson, which I know may sound a little strange that I would pick that. (laughs) But there are there's a lot going on in that movie that I would like to talk about. 
Um, so feel free to watch that. It's a perfect uh, Christmas movie. That's not true. But uh, <laughs> it's got. Uh, nah, I got nothing. It's got Jodie Foster in it. And she's. Um, she's uh, a taxi driver. Taxi driver, which. Silence of the takes Lambs. Place in, uh, Silence of the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus Christmas. Got it. <laughs> I can do any, anything. Just give me. I got it. She I'll was in it. The Accused. I accuse you of loving Christmas. <laughs> Guilty as charged, buddy. <laughs> so, um, all right. That's the connection. <laughs> so, if you're wondering what the connection with the beaver is to Christmas, it's that I'm accusing Tyler of being, of loving Christmas. All right. Yes, let's go out on that by all means. Um, all right. So you can uh, you can go to the website, morethanonelesson.com. There's not a lot of new content um, on there, but uh, you can always go back into the uh, into the archives. And by the way, if you want to do some last minute shopping, actually, it's probably too late by this point. <laughs> but uh, you can always buy stuff at the at the uh, More Than One Lesson store. It's true. You might want to get somebody a New Year's present. Sure. Maybe you have a friend whose birthday is January third or fourth of or fourth even. Any of those things could happen. Fifth is so ridiculous, though. You really should get no. No one. No one's born on the fifth. Um, but just get right over to uh, to uh, the website and mm-hmm. you know spend away. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, let's see. If you have any uh, questions or comments, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can also email Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash morelessons. You can follow Josh, twitter.com slash thejoshlong, or rather the Josh Long. It's not two E's. No, just one. So uh, you can, uh, there is a Facebook group. You can join that. You can also... Uh, find the podcast on iTunes and if you felt like leaving a positive comment I would really appreciate it. So um Josh thanks for uh, thanks as always for being here. Well you're very welcome. And uh, Merry Christmas buddy. Merry Christmas to you. All right, thanks everybody for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Check, check. Hello, hello. Check, check. Check, check. This is Josh. Hey there. How's it going? This is... I'm... This is me talking. This is me saying things. Hello, hello. Do, do, do. Are you done? Hang on. Hello, Josh. How's it going? Well, it's going well. I don't want you to answer. Oh, all right. Okay. That looks about fine.